listening to You Should Read This, a comic book and graphic novel review and discussion podcast. I'm Ryan. I'm, oh, I'm Alan. I guess Jeez, I, wow. I didn't know. It's, you know, I'm just getting the rhythm for you and then me and there's it me and then you and then. I, I honestly, I don't remember. Should we try again? <laughs> do you want to do it again or you just want to go with this? I think uh, we'll just. We'll just go with this. It's fine. Yeah, well, Let's just keep going. He's Ryan. Sense. I'm Alan. I'm Alan. He's Ryan. If you haven't figured it out by now, you should probably just stop listening. Okay, words are not your thing. All this out. Um, <laughs> Please don't. Hey. That was good. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> this this time around, we're talking about um, the first two volumes of the graphic novel or comic book series Umbrella Academy. We're being we're being somewhat timely with hey. with one of these. Hey. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because there's the Netflix show that just came out, and everybody loves My Chemical Romance. I feel like My Chemical Romance has never died. It's carried on forever. Gerard Way will never not have a career at this I, point, right? I mean, I never listened to My Chemical Romance, and I that's first, a lie. I started listening to them last week in preparation <laughs> for the show. Did you really? And I was like, oh man, I would have been super into this when I was in the emo <laughs> phase in high school. <laughs> they, yeah i think the high school is definitely the a, problem a specific is, uh, demographic the problem is that they came out when i was in college so it was kind of like too late yeah you are you are just like two years too old to really sync up with all of the stuff that you know i don't we're not you and i are not different generations are we no i mean no what is a generation anyway Okay. Uh, I'm just I'm just a little bit older and I was into different emo bands. What emo bands were you into? Uh I really liked the Juliana Theory. I've never heard of that. They're a band that um they were on a Christian label, but <laughs> they did that whole like we're not Christians, we're just Christians in a band. It's, anyway. Wow. Um a bunch of other stuff that I could dredge up, but I don't want to. Okay. Uh, well, I got really into Sunny Day Real Estate for a while. Okay, really that one I do know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Stuff like that. I mean, anyway. all all of mine were were really basic. So I definitely had three cheers for Sweet Revenge on um, on repeat for a month. I would is say. that a is that an album of theirs? That's or like a song? that's like the album. Like that's okay. one with uh, Helena and and um, all this all the other stuff. That was like. That was the one where if you knew about My Chemical Romance from the mainstream zeitgeist, it was because of that album. I thought it was because of the Black Parade. No, that was the that was after Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, actually. Yeah, that's the one that when I mentioned it, people started like quoting to each other. And I was just like sort of smiling and nodding my head like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I've never like, here's the thing. And, and honestly, this carries over to this comic book. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit related. Yeah. Um my Chemical Romance and Gerard Way and, and like that whole aesthetic has mm. always been too goth leaning for my, <laughs> for my, uh, uh, for my satisfaction. I'm, I'm super down to talk about how, uh, you know, the girl that I really want is too popular or whatever. Like I'm super good for that, but I really need to include like some lime greens and some uh, royal blues, you know, preferably a skateboard on there somewhere. I um, gotcha. In, in order just, to facilitate that, I dress in all black and I have eyeliner on and Hot Topic's my favorite store. Exactly. I mean, I went to Hot Topic, but I bought Invader Zim shirts, which I feel like are kind of just uh, you nerd genre neutral. They aren't nerd. Yeah. I mean, that's but, the guy who created Johnny the Homicidal Mania. That's true. I guess you all were right, just well, you. You were an, an unsad. You weren't. You were a non emo emo. Is that what you're telling me? Man, my I tried really hard to be into metal for a while too, because I had a, I had some friends that were like really into metal and mm. like thinking that I could I could be all sad and and um, emo about it that way. But it just wait—is metal about being sad? I thought metal is about wizards fighting dragons. No, that's cool metal that I didn't know about. I was that's I'm like talking all I'm like the metal that I listen to. I'm thinking about new metal. I think or like, like post apocalypse. Wait, new metal? That's like corn. Right. right, that's where you're going with that. Yeah, I think that's I think that's more I was leaning. Stuff's starting to come back. I was listening to all some right. Lincoln Park the other day. Okay, uh, all right. well, nobody not doesn't not. If you say you don't like Lincoln Park, you're probably lying. It's true. I'm sure if you say that, that you, don't that like you Lincoln... didn't like that Jay Z Lincoln Park EP, that everybody okay. knows it's a lie because it's catchy. <laughs> 
I feel like Jay Z Lincoln Park would be a mashup better suited for this era because you can. No, make no, it's actually it. terrible if you listen to it now. Is it really? It's like, oh gosh, what was everybody thinking? Well, Frosted Tips were a thing too, so they were. It, it, it's like that is Frosted Tips the album, that and <laughs> Smash Mouth Walking on the Sun. Uh, all right, we're getting way off topic here. Well, we're talking about of. Umbrella Academy. The only reason that it's relevant, the main reason that it's relevant is because it was written by Gerard Way, who is, among other things, uh, the lead singer of the band My Chemical Romance. Is he still, or are they still a going concern? No, they, they have disbanded, as it he were. He was and, the lead singer. But they've all, they, they disbanded, uh, I would say, relatively amic- amicably. Like, okay. it was definitely like, this is a time for, for us to kind of stop doing this thing. So sure. I would not be surprised if, t- surprised if like 10 years down the road, there's some sort of reunion special or tour or something that happens. I mean, there's money to be made in that. Oh, for sure. So much. Mm-hmm. Once, you get, once, once our generation has the money, we'll pay for those nostalgia acts. I mean, I've, I've seen so many nostalgia acts already. I've seen Five Iron Frenzy live. Oh, wow. When was that? And why didn't you take me? Um, it was a sold out show. And I asked my brother-in-law whose family used to own the chain reaction to sign me in oh bummer and because he said okay I'll that's go fair if you, if you bring me with you um i did go to a goldfinger show a couple months there ago there you go there you oh. go also yes that's it's sad when my parents were young it's like oh a nostalgia show is rolling stones and now it's goldfinger i feel like nostalgia show is still rolling stones. <laughs> <laughs> no that's true all right uh so back to the umbrella academy sure. gerard way uh, also was for a brief period of time a publisher at DC, at the DC Young Animal imprint. That was all him. That was uh, in the last two or three Doom years. Patrol. Doom Patrol. Yeah, that was the last couple of years. He was the writer, main writer in Doom Patrol. Uh, he's written a lot of other stuff, but this was really the book that put him on the map as a comic book writer. And I remember being super skeptical at first, being like, oh, this guy from some emo band, some mall emo band wrote a comic book. Oh, great. Uh, and then people kept telling me, like, no, but it's good. <laughs> like, like it's totally good. Uh, and part of the thing that won me over was uh, the art. Art's by Gabriel Ba, yeah. uh, who is um, a pair of sometimes referred to as the Brazilian twins with Fabio Moon. Uh, they've done a lot of work together with Day Tripper and um, some other original graphic novels. They've both worked with Matt Fraction on various Casanova volumes. In fact, they switch off between who pencils and who inks for each Casanova volume. That's pretty funny. Yeah. And their art styles are astonishingly similar. Yeah. And now that you said Casanova, cause I didn't, I didn't think about that. And now that you say Casanova, I'm looking at some of these panels. I'm like, Oh yeah, that totally looks like the same character, like uh build as it were. Yeah. 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 They do that willowy kind of weird looking guy pretty well. Like it, it, it's, we're going to talk about art later, but yes, exactly. Um, Colors, at least on the first volume, are Dave Stewart. Letters are Nate Picos, um, designer Tony Ong. I'm looking at the credits page. Um, but yeah, man. So the first volume is Umbrella Academy Apocalypse Suite. Second volume is Umbre- Umbrella Academy Dallas. Uh, when did you first read this? Last week. For reals? Yeah, dude. For like... reals. <laughs> okay, look, I'm... <sighs> It never crossed my my radar because, number one, it was written by a guy who I had already gone, oh, that's going to be very depressing. I was reading, like, pretty much manga only up until the last, until five years ago, I think. You know, like, all my entire comics upbringing was done through reading Bleach and One Piece. So And, And Green Lantern. Yeah, no, well... Green Lantern was definitely was like it was was like a uh, an input like a an in point for Western comics, which oh gosh, uh, let's see here that would have been yeah I'm thinking six years ago at this point. So right. I've, I've only like when it comes to Western comics, this is definitely one I've heard of, like sort of like the one a lot of people reference or talk about, especially in specific circles uh, where Gerard Way is you know going to come up at least once or twice. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, this was definitely a gateway comic for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, it was also, like, it was definitely part of my comics ex- education when I started to really think about how comics got made. Because I think it came in at a point where I was unsure of whether or not Western comics were just Marvel and DC. And, and Image uh, 
at least in my mind, or actually probably sort of comics landscape was just starting to hit a stride and come out with a bunch of really good creator owned stuff mm-hmm. um, that now they have like a huge, you know, uh, floor space at Comic-Con. Um, you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. I, I feel like image has definitely been around for a while, but I definitely feel like the last five, six or seven years is probably where it started hitting that. Sure. Yeah. Once they started getting all that walking dead money. Oh yeah. Technically this is a dark horse book. Right, but I'm talking about like the time and era. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, not about yeah. it specifically. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, um, yeah, but I wasn't aware until you know we started doing the other show about mm-hmm. how these things sort of came to be. But Umbrella Academy was always one of those ones where I thought about it. I'm like, wait a second, the the guy who wrote this is in like a band, but like this is his side gig. I didn't even know that was allowed. So <laughs> it, it sounds stupid, but it's true. Uh, That's and, and so I never, I just never got around to reading it because um, it didn't really fit into my comics education or aesthetic at that point. I'm sort of weirded out that we never read this on the old show. It is, it does seem like I feel like it came up so many times too. Yeah, we just like kept blowing it off for other stuff. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure why we never read it. Uh, but that's why we're reading it now because. Once again, I haven't ever actually read it. Same thing with Akira. You think I would have read Akira up until this point also. Yeah, you nerd. Well, apparently not a good one. Yeah, I mean, it takes one to know one. <laughs> That's true. How dare... Are you gatekeeping me, Ryan? No, not at all. I'm going to get on Twitter right now. Oh, Alan. Uh, so I first read <laughs> this book. Five followers. Probably about a year after it came out, which is still more than 10 years ago. Uh, I read the first volume, and then I was in early enough that I actually have first prints of the second volume, which I should like see if those are worth anything. Um, at this point, they might be worth slightly above cover price. Hey man, slightly above cover price is more than I was going to get for them a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> That's actually pretty true. Yeah. Um, but so we read the first two, both of the first volumes. It's actually, there's more of it coming out right now. I think issue four came out a couple of weeks ago. Really? Yeah. That oh. they, he's doing a, a third volume. Wow. Okay. Probably in conjunction with the incredible amount of uh, exposure that having a Netflix original series gives you. Uh, so yeah, with a huge Netflix series, it sort of brings a lot more eyes into the series. People are like, oh, Umbrella Academy. Oh, I hear that's a comic. And and seriously, I feel like so many people have become comic book readers because of a television show or a movie that they liked that was based on a comic. That they're like, oh, I wonder what the original version of this was like. Because there's that sort of like weird, like, oh, well, nothing's as good as the original thing. Which sometimes is true, but other times isn't. For instance, Infinity War. Yeah, I, well, Infinity War is different, though, because Infinity War is like a bunch of different comic ideas and personalities. And then on top of that, uh, you know, notes from the studio about those yeah. things no, all I mean, conglomerated like, into one thing. The Infinity War comic book. Yeah, that's is, what I'm talking about. Comic book yeah. versus the movie, right? Yeah, the comic book is not actually that enjoyable to read, and it's kind of a mess. Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it is. It's very difficult to read. So, like, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, should I read the original? I'm like, no, there's almost no relation between the two. I mean, you can you can get a cool, like, retroactive viewpoint of it. Like I think it's cool to have the historical viewpoint of it, so that when you go watch the the new thing, you get you get a you get a nice um, I, I don't want to say nostalgic kick because that's not necessarily correct, but a, a sort of a, a you know when the, you you get like a second view of an argument that you never had before, like oh I never thought about it that way, like that's kind of what I would figure. Um, <laughs> this actually came out this week because um, I'm gonna go slightly off track, but uh. Jen and I were watching uh, Fairy Tale, which is an uh, anime, and it's in its last season right now. So it's finishing up its like like last fifty episodes or whatever, and I think twenty twenty two are out right now. So we got all like we watched a lot of Fairy Tale and got all cut up. She wanted to go back and because the manga has been done for a while because that's how that works. So she read the rest of the manga and I didn't. Oh. so she's all completely caught up and done with the series, and I'm just like. I'm going to not do that for right now. And I'm just going to... Because you don't want to... Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to ride out the the anime and experience it that way. And then maybe go back and read it. But uh, 
the the differences that are getting called out here and there and little things manga is a little different because usually if you have a successful manga you're going to want to um like the, the the really good manga adaptations are basically just panel for panel like that happens a lot and that's kind of what's happening with fairy tale so there's a couple of things here and there that are slightly different but um i'm i'm getting the second hand report from things that are similar and things that are different from the manga and the anime gotcha i mean why why uh redo storyboards when you already have them but i guess that's yeah, true there's, yeah there's always things there's always things that work in comics that don't work in animation and vice versa um definitely the way that like battle scenes play out tends to be very very different yeah that's true uh it's worth mentioning since here we are talking about umbrella academy that there is a live action show and i've watched it right and so what i want to do is circle around to do you want to talk about the show like in its entirety or do you want to just sort of hold off for right now and we can bring it in later um yeah let's talk about the comic and then i can circle around to the show okay uh but it, it suffice it to say it's exceptionally different oh okay yeah it's, i want to hear about this it's almost it's almost completely different okay but and part and a big part of that is because the difference between live action and comic books the things you can do with them yeah well we i mean if we haven't stressed it enough, I don't. Have we done comics as uh, comics as art, comics as literature on this show? Uh, I don't think we have. We should start doing that. Comics are art, and comics are literature. Um, and and so you know, we always talk about comics as a medium and what you can do to show the the events of of thing of a plot on a page versus something that you're forced to watch in sequential images being projected into your eyeballs. Um, which is always in, always very, very different because of, uh, number one, time, number two, money, and number three, what you're able to take in all at one time. Yeah, well, and suspension of disbelief works differently, too. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. You that's can a good point. see a guy doing a pile driver on a giant octopus monster in a comic book, and you're just like, yeah. But in a show, you're like, really? Uh, that octopus is so unrealistic. Like, it would never move that way, and that guy would never be able to jump that high, and wouldn't he just land on the octopus? Okay, like, it. You're right. I get it. Cause you're, because then you have a reference point for reality. Yeah, exactly. Whereas with the comic book, it's like, well, this is a weird comic book. People can be, people can be drawn very weirdly. Yeah. So speaking of weird, the first issue, and I don't want to go issue by issue through all 12 of these issues because that right. would be exhausting. We generally um, don't. But... but it starts at 11. Yeah. Like, it, it, it has that hard, cold open. <laughs> It, it starts with, like, you know, all of a sudden, all of the 43 extraordinary children were born. Like, it gives you, like, a tiny bit of intro, and then it's just, like, the day the Eiffel Tower went berserk. And it's just totally insane for the whole first issue. And it's, like, they fight the Eiffel Tower that's gone crazy, and then they fight zombie robot Gustav Eiffel. And you learn a little bit about each one of the characters, and then it's just, like, slam cut to... 20 years later, here's this gorilla man on the moon. I feel like, okay, um, my point of reference for this is going to be Scott Pilgrim. Because, one of, once again, one of the first like non-manga things that I read. And I mean, uh, let's be honest, I would imagine that one of Gerard Way's points of reference was also Scott Pilgrim. You would think so, right? Um, because the, way, the thing that Scott Pilgrim did that, I, that was head-turning for me and, and sort of a really cool thing that I would only come to really appreciate later is just the, like what you talked about, like the suspension of disbelief. Like the idea that these are the rules for this world and you don't get to question it. Like, it's just like, these are the way things happened. These are the way things are going to be. And it doesn't really matter because we'll never touch on them again. But just in case you were wondering, this, you know, same thing with King City. Like one of the first things you ever made me read too, which is like, oh, this Sasquatch is ex-military and now runs a secret hideout. I'm just like, that is awesome because you're just taking all these weird things it's it's like a unique thing that would never show up in any other serious or otherwise um uh, uh uh what's the word i'm looking for like like uh production of anything because it doesn't make any sense uh but when you do that and you just force the reader to accept it it sets a tone it said it does a little bit of world building if you if you want to you know run it that way um and it also creates this idea that it doesn't matter what comes after this, 
because it's not going to be any stupider. <laughs> it can't be any crazier <laughs> than the first three pages of this. Yeah, uh, yeah, I feel like it really does set the tone for the whole thing, and and like it's still pretty madcap, but I feel like the rest of the book is somewhat more serious and sober and maybe even gothy than that beginning of just like super kids fighting a robot zombie tower. Yeah, I I wonder, do you feel like it, I have two questions for you actually, do you feel like number one, it drops off after this? Do you feel like it like mellows out intentionally or unintentionally? I, I don't know, because part of me wonders like, I know that this is Gerard Way's first kind of big book, first book really. Right. And so I wonder if it is just sort of like the first few pages of the first issue is him just like getting all these ideas out of his head. Like, oh man, we got to do this and this and this and this. And then like after a few pages, he's kind of like, oh, maybe I need to like tell a story here. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and like the- it, it really feels like sort of like setting the tone and just kind of like almost like clearing some ridiculous stuff out of his pen before we yeah. actually start telling the story. I I feel like he really wanted to start going hard on that, you know, that disbelief uh, scale, that spectrum, because I feel like setting all that stuff up and then keeping it running is sort of the crazy stick it to the man type of comics that he like sort of really wanted to do, Um, which is the second thing I was I was thinking about, which was this is, in my opinion, a style like I think that the um lol so random <laughs> you know for like lack of a better term uh but the madcap uh super di- super disbelief um world building style of this and of like scott pilgrim and of like king city um is a is a a sort of subgenre somehow and i would like love to go into that but the idea being um is it is, does it date itself or does it play itself out after a while? Because I definitely feel like in the year 2019, after we've been through all of the Invader Zims and all of the, uh, you know, C-Labs of the world and whatever it is, that the the madcap um, let's throw a bunch of things together and make something that makes no sense maybe looked on unfavorably? Like, it, it might come off as trying too hard, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I, I could see that, but I think it's almost more like, um, think of like early '60s like Marvel comics, where they were just doing whatever they could, and there was no internal consistency and no consistency from book to book and things like that. But it was like, who cares? And with at least um, like this and Scott Pilgrim and King City and stuff like that, they they start with just sort of like, here's all these insane ideas that I'm throwing to the page. And then we get a couple issues in and they're like, okay, I kind of have to justify this. And they sort of like build an ad hoc world around all the jokes that they made a few issues ago. Um, and and, I, and it, it feels very makeshift and it feels very like rickety, the world building. Even the world building in this is never super solid. You're never totally clear on what's happening. Um, and, and I feel like it has, it evolved from that uh, sort of like madcap style in the 60s um, and I think now in like 2019, what we're getting is stuff that's that's madcap, but also thought through. Um, like like some of the stuff that Cy Spurrier is doing, um, or some of the stuff that like Kieran Gillen is doing, where it's like, yeah, this is an insane premise, and all of the things that you said don't make any sense. And he's like, yeah, and I have like 600 pages of world building that that exists in the background. I I, I that last sentence that you just said. Uh, as soon as you said Kieran Gillen, I'm like, I think I know where he's going with this. And yeah, I think you nailed that. Like Kieran Gillen would have a series Bible or whatever for a world where, you know, everything is made of cheese. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like it, it, if you think about the, because we read East of West not too long ago and we read Wicked Divine. I mean, Hickman and Kieran Gillen, the writers on both of those books, like those are books that don't start any less crazy than this. Yeah, I guess. Uh, okay, that's they started. They true. do start a little bit less crazy, but <laughs> I don't know, man. I would say the Hickman book starts more crazy, but then it's like, look, you think that this is just me being silly? Here's so much more history. I feel like the I feel like East of West started very very zany, but I, okay, I think that I think that East of West started very um, oh man, I don't even have a word for it. Like out of left field. 
Like, it definitely threw a curveball at you right at the way. But I, I don't think it was as zany as this book. I think this book has a sense of humor to it, as it does throughout the whole book, that, you know, that, that those other books would not have. Yeah, I, I agree with that. There definitely seem to be more serious books. But I think, like, the idea of sort of, like, where did this come from, things that come up, in this book, they all, it's super front-loaded with all of these, what the heck, where did this come from? And then the book sort of, like, sobers up and tells a story, whereas in those books, they have looked at this and then sat down and planned so that there's always a where did this come from, every single issue. Right, that's a good point. You know? Like, they, they sat down and, and took the zany and then say, okay, how can I make this consistent with this world that I'm building? And how can I make sure that every issue feels like a, oh my gosh, where did that come from? Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about in the world of HBO serials, that's sort of like a, a more acceptable form of, of cliffhanger storytelling. Whereas this one is dynamite in your face. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the other thing about this one is that, like... This one feels zany, and even though it's kind of like a weighty subject dealing with, like, the death of what is essentially a parent and their various relationships with him and their relationships with each other and everything like that, like, it's it's never, like, there's always this edge of, like, isn't this crazy? Like, yeah, this is totally weird. Yeah, that's true. And, it's very tongue you know, like, it, 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 it's, it's always funny when, like, a gorilla is speaking very eloquently. <laughs> or a chimpanzee, I mean, you know? Yeah, I mean, chimps being people are that's always funny. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly it. It's like like it, it you suspend your belief, your disbelief, but sometimes it's like yeah, that monkey's talking, man. Like what the <laughs> heck? That's that a guy's point. a that guy's a man with a gorilla spacesuit body. All right, so now that we've got all of our comic book philosophy done and out of the way, let's let's real quick, do you think you can give an elevator pitch for this? For this book? Yeah. Um, it's sort of like the aftermath of a failed super team trying to avert the apocalypse that may or may not be their fault. I would say... With time travel. Okay. I would say that there is a... Hmm. Uh, a, a, a mad scientist has gathered a lot of superpowered orphans, essentially, and tried to experimentally create a super family, which failed. And then after he dies, uh, one of the family members comes back and, you know, claims apocalypse. And they all have to figure out how to work together and or work together to stop it. Yeah, because I think good. I, I, th- I think that I think the first one is first they have to figure out how to work together because that was a huge issue. And the second one is then they have to figure out how to work together to stop the thing, if that's even possible. And then there are more things to stop. Right, obviously. And then there's a bunch of stuff in between. And then they accidentally get transported back in time. Yeah, but the way I pitched it was so boring. And there's no way... <laughs> like, I don't know if there's a way to describe the monkey that has a human brain in it, the yeah. human that has a monkey body. <laughs> there's a lot of monkeys in this book. Yeah, um, I, I I'm feel sorry, like apes. There's just, a lot of apes. Yeah, because they don't have tails. Uh, I feel like he just enjoyed like drawing monkeys. Or I drawing like apes. True. Yeah. Because Dreadway did a lot of the character design and stuff like that before. Um, and you can see it in the, in the collected volume. I did, think that was, I did think that was really interesting how like, the, uh, the professor like, perfected brain transplants into, into apes or whatever. And then you just, in the world, there's just a bunch of apes. Like as if... Yeah, there's just like, oh, he's like an ape detective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's sort of like, oh, this is a thing that the world just accepts now because it was done. And it was done successfully. So now it's just an option. Yep. Um, obviously, we have the kids ranked as most to least useful. Okay, uh, you want to do that? Well, I mean, we got to talk. We got to talk about the the main kid, right? We got to we got to go through the kids real quick. So the sure. professor is, uh, for all intents and purposes, a super intelligent space alien. I guess. But though that that's mentioned in one panel and literally never comes up again. Literally, never, and you don't even see what he looks like. It's just like is him looking in the mirror, and there is a mask in the trash can. It's just like straight up, he's an alien. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Once again, goes back to what we were talking about before. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So there's kid zero one. AKA, right. Is it zero zero point zero one? Uh, you just call them the numbers. That's what they call each other. He's okay. number one. 
mm-hmm. aka Space Boy, aka Luther. And he is a kid that had. Uh, did he have a disease or got in an accident? Uh, he got into an accident. He's like super right. strong and super resilient, but something happened to his body, and he his head was put on the body of a space ape. So now he's like a cross between Buck Rogers and uh, National Geographic. Yeah, but he can't take his space suit, which is also his body, off. Right, it's he's stuck to it. So yeah. he's, now a, he's now a gorilla guy. Um, number two, which, a.k.a. the Kraken, a.k.a. I forget his, his actual real name. Eric? Uh, Diego. Diego. Oh, what? I don't even remember. Yep. I don't remember that. You're not even close, okay. buddy. He throws knives. He throws knives good, and he can hold his breath for a while. He's a, he's a big, mean dude. He's like, well, uh, he's like a he's lanky sort of... Punisher type, almost. Oh, Punisher's good. I was going to say Batman, but Punisher works better. Yeah. Sort of like but... angry, I work outside the law. Yeah. Kind of a guy. Um, you should do the names because I don't remember. Anymore. Sure. Number three is Rumor, a.k.a. Allison. Uh, and she can um, basically control people's minds by saying, well, I heard a rumor that this. Yeah, it's sort of like or, this whole like slash wish alter reality. It's yeah. strange. Yeah, it's definitely alter reality altering at a, at like an omega level, and it's basically the words "I wish" except replaced with "I heard a rumor that," and then the thing happens. But it doesn't really get into her using her powers too much, so you don't know what like the extent of it is. It doesn't seem like she can, you know, say "I heard a rumor that the world exploded." Yeah, it's more like happens. I heard a rumor that people did a thing. And then all of a sudden people go by and do the thing. Or like, I, I heard a rumor that you stepped on a nail, and then all of a sudden you'll step on a nail. I'm like, ow, oh, <clears throat> that hurt. Okay, what's the next one? Uh, the next one is The Seance, number four. Um, and That's a I'm, good name. I'm struggling to remember his real name. Um, do, 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 what is his real name? He's like sort of a key component of the TV show, to be honest. Yeah, he seems like the fan favorite. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, he's also probably <clears throat> the best acted on the show. Um, I can't think of his name. Anyway, uh, I'll come back to it as soon as I remember it. I'll, um, I'll look it up. You keep going. He has the ability to basically to channel the dead. That is his ability. He's a medium. Plus, he can, uh, he can levitate. He can levitate. Yep. Neat. Um, number five does not have a name other than number five, uh, and he can slip through time. Uh, are there rules to his time travel? Um, vaguely. It's easy to go backwards. No, uh, it's easy to go forward. It's hard to go back. Okay. So Um, it's not rules so much as like governors on it. Yeah. But it's, it's just sort of. He explains it as, like, he just has to know the math to do the time travel, and then it happens. Right. And that's why he got stuck in the future, because he couldn't figure out the math to get back in time. Uh, number six is, um, he's basically got Cthulhu in his stomach, but, oh, he, yeah, but, but he died before this book ca- takes place, essentially. Yeah, he, then, they, they sort of, like, position him and then... Ditch him immediately? No, I'm no, he, sure. he dies. Yeah, no, I get that. Oh, but, okay. like, never makes it really into the book, and I'm just wondering why he would exist at all at that point. He's sort of like a memory of things that went wrong for everybody. Got it. All right. He's just there to be the um, um, like he's, emotional MacGuffin. Yeah, he's basically like, well, we don't want that to happen again. Right. That's Speaking fair. of That's that happening point. again, there's number seven, Vanya who does not have any superpowers, wink, mm-hmm. uh, and who later becomes the white violin. You know, uh, not under duress, but under emotional stress. No, they, they like, she gets tortured by a weirdo and experimented on. Yeah, emotional stress. Not like, like forcibly, not forcibly changed, but like at the same time, very much not under her own choice for the most part right perceivably so yeah that's the umbrella academy um and i honestly their enemy in the first volume is just themselves and yeah. trying to figure out what's going on because hargreaves their dad has died uh, that's what brings them all together again yeah and they they come back and they haven't seen five since they were kids and he says basically like 
hey, the apocalypse is coming. Uh, we got to like deal with that. Which and they don't actually deal with in the first volume? I mean, it depends on what you mean by the apocalypse. Uh, I guess because, because essentially the white violin attempts, attempts to bring on the apocalypse in, at the end of the first volume. Right, but at the beginning of the... Is the beginning of the first volume also? Yeah, because it's the beginning. Uh, with the, the weird leftover robot, like Dalek looking dudes yeah, who yeah. are flying around. But and that, that turns was out supposed that's to be... just a MacGuffin. That's just a. Not a MacGuffin, a red herring. Exactly. There's a whole lot throughout both of these volumes where there isn't like a single thing that it really builds up to. It definitely feels a lot like a character driven um, uh, uh, sort of dash through a bunch of different perilous happenings that if any one of those things got out of hand would essentially equate to an apocalypse of some kind or like the, the total destruction of X city, you know? Yeah. Um, I think character driven is a really good way to put it because it's really focusing on who they are as people more than it is about what's happening or the overarching plot. And even at the end of the second volume where there's a bunch of time travel happening and a bunch of fingers being pointed and a bunch of allegiances sort of waffling a little bit, um, it still comes down to number five versus himself, I guess, but number five versus the family. Um, because at the end, actually at the end of the first one, it's sort of number five versus the family as well. He's a very powerful personality throughout the story. Yeah, he's, he's sort of the driving, he's really the driving force between the two volumes. Uh, because the beginning of the first volume, he shows up and he's been gone for a super long time. And the second volume is sort of like dealing with the aftermath of, his presence as a time assassin. Right, which, once again, we get sort of into, well, this is how it happened, deal with it territory, where, you know, it doesn't really matter how time travel works or anything like that. It's just, this is what happened in this case, and this is how it goes. Yeah, and at the, and I mean, in, in the second volume, um, two of the characters have been completely nullified. Right, correct. Um, uh, Space Boy actually is gone for the whole second volume, for the most part. I mean, until they, until they, all travel back in time to to the Vietnam War. Right, and then they spend some time in there, which was a little confusing, um, you know, story-wise, it's, but I it's guess definitely it's definitely kind of a non-linear story to a certain extent. It definitely jumps around a lot. So going back to like what we were talking about, about uh, comics versus, uh, versus show, right? Like, the idea that this book can deal with time and different storylines simultaneously throughout basically just by switching issue numbers like going from issue one to issue two changes which characters you're focusing on like it goes from focusing on um rumor to focusing on um uh uh, number five like just from issue one to issue two in volume two um yeah it's almost like they're like every every character has an issue or a couple of issues Right, like pieces of an issue, but it's only six issues per volume. It's not a huge amount. Like we're not getting the the ten to twelve issues per volume that we're kind of used to, I guess, in a collection. And so, it it does feel a little truncated to me sometimes. Like I will say that reading this was super fun, but I wish that there was more time to flesh everything out and create a really engaging story. And there's obvious, like probably financial and time related reasons that didn't happen. Um, but I'm still a little, you know, a little disappointed in, in the pacing of everything overall. Yeah, it's pretty, it's choppier than I remember. Right? It seems like, a little disjointed. Like reading through, it's just like, oh, 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 wow, oh, wow. I forgot that all that happened in this one issue. Um, yeah, it gets through a lot of stuff in one issue, but all of that stuff is really heavy and sort of deserves time to be sort of mulled over. That you don't really get, especially if you're like binge reading it like we are. Yeah, but it definitely does some nonlinear stuff. Like we have the Hazel and Cha Cha thing. We don't really understand why Hazel and Cha Cha are a thing until much later, even though we've been watching them sort of like kidnap people and hurt people. I don't know how I feel about Hazel and Cha Cha because I feel like they are integral to creating a, a, a dramatic moment. And definitely setting up a sort of end game thing for everyone, right? Um, but I don't think that as characters, 
I feel like they were being tried to, they were, they were being set up to be very memorable or at the very least very chaotic or maybe even, um, yeah, but I, I feel like they were, they were really meant to have more distinguishable personalities and they kind of just come off as crazy people. Like you could have put the, you didn't need the big bunny and, and bear head. You could have just done, uh, dudes in ski masks or, yeah, it's, you know, it's iconic. It looks cool. Is, I mean, it, does it? And honestly, they're, they're, those two characters are um, one of the biggest changes, I think, in the show. Like tone change, you mean? Uh, yes. In the show, they are characters that you come to care about. Really? Yeah. Okay. They have like whole arcs, the two of them. Okay. We're still going to come back to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, but, like that was that's uh, honestly it's one of the most jarring things in the in the transition from the page to the screen is that those two characters are vastly vastly different. Got it. Interesting. Like they they you know like they do a pretty good job of most of the uh, the characters who are part of the Umbrella Academy are very consistent mm-hmm. with, with maybe one very solid exception, uh, but. But those two characters are totally out of left field compared to the way they are in the books. And then, yeah, and then volume two, they decide to go back in time. They end up in Vietnam, and it's terrible. Uh, and then they have to... Stop, or no, ensure the assassination? Then, yeah, it's, at first it's like, oh, we have to stop it. And then it's like, no, 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 I already tried that. It didn't help. It made things worse. We have to make sure it happens. Right. And so they do a cool little uh, Ocean's Eleven thing. This is definitely one of those books where, like, as we're talking about it, where, like, in Headlopper, we can talk about different points and, and things here and there and sort of recap the book. I don't think it's going to be possible for this one. No, there's way too much. Like, each, each issue is jam-packed. And these are, like, 26-page issues. These are small, 24-page issues. These are small books. Yeah, and honestly, it so does not happens. take you very long to read the whole volume. Yeah, and and I really like. I I think, uh, I mean, this is here comes the title of the show. Uh, <laughs> I really think that if you are curious about this, you should read this. It is totally different than a lot of stuff that's out there. Um, it's, I mean, the only thing that comes close is something like, like we mentioned, like Scott Pilgrim or um, or King City, but it's it's totally different vein. It's definitely way gothier. Um, way more character focused and more emotionally fraught, uh, mm-hmm. in a very different way than Scott Pilgrim is. Right. Oh yeah. But it, at the it same has... time, it's almost it's more madcap and insanely so much more violent. Yeah. It it definitely does not have a lighthearted lesson about life that Scott Pilgrim does. Although no. it does sort of try to hit the same point from a different um, trajectory. Um, you want to talk about art? Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the art. Uh, I I. Besides, like, I love the way that Gabriel Ba draws stuff. Yeah. I mean, it definitely feels less watercolory than I feel like I've seen in, in Casanova. Casanova, like, all the colors bleed together to sort of create that timescape kind of look. Yeah. This well, one I feels... Think that's, that, I think that that's a Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart, who's on colors on this one. Oh, yeah. Colors because, makes I mean, such an enormous difference in art, and it's really... I think that that's one of the places... I think book. that I think that's really interesting, and you're right. However, for me, the thing that stand, stands out in this book is the inks. Yeah, I think the inking in this book is what really gives it the sort of dark or specific or um, blocky feel that it normally has. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels very uh, Mike Mignola, you know, yeah. like yeah, yeah, very very Hellboy. Yeah, very uh, like lots of just full black and jagged edged shadow shapes a lot of silhouettes when they're mm. available you know if you can get away with it kind of thing um and you would think that either he would it was uh it was very influenced by him or maybe just straight up done by him at a different at a different point it's probably um, yeah it's definitely influenced by him for sure but i feel like we've also read another book that was a lot like very much influenced by him that wasn't yeah oh yeah it's... i guess i guess headlopper was like sort of he that did... way as well I mean, they're both super stylized, but in a very, very different way. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it other than like Headlopper is much more graphic in like a, these are graphics. 
Oh, you're talking about like neon colors and big round shapes and yeah, like like the drawings. Like this is more comicsy than I don't know, man. I really yeah, yeah. like Headlopper, but Headlopper is not just stylized, but like abstract. Yeah, I definitely. I think I think we, I get what you're saying. So this the umbrella um, uh, umbrella umbrella academy. Woo, good job, me. Um, is definitely more of like a traditional. Everybody's got heads. Everybody's got fingers. Um, it's, uh, you know, backgrounds and, um, details, whereas Headlopper was very much everybody's squares and circles and sometimes ovals and, uh, backgrounds are sort of done wispy, uh, so that you get a sense for, for scale and distance, but that's about all, all you really need. Yeah. It um, has like Headlopper has more of like a, like a box brown Chris Ware thing. Yeah, whereas exactly. This has more of a Mike Mignola, um, which is great because, I mean, you take the inking style, the, the blocky inking style between Umbrella Academy, Hellboy, and Headlopper, and you apply basically the same hard-lined block, like, stark shade um, inking style to all three books. And you get books that look the same, but still completely different. Yeah, wildly, wildly different. Which is, once again, something that pretty much only comics can do, but that's still super cool to me. Well, and I, one of the things I really like about the way Gabriel Ba draws is that some artists, um, particularly like uh, more recent Mike Allred, since he started doing comics digitally, um, where like if they're going to draw somebody small in the background, they just zoom in and draw that person and then zoom back out. Where uh, when somebody's in the background or somebody's smaller in, in, in a smaller part of the panel, he just only draws what he needs to. Right. You, your brain does the rest. Somebody in the background is not going to necessarily have eyes or have much more than a defined head shape. That's okay. You don't need that. Like everything in it's, it's just the details uh, immediately drop down significantly as soon as something gets smaller. And it, it's, it's such an interesting, it's such a weird effect when you're used to like pages being just insanely overdrawn. Right. Especially in like big panels where there's lots of things going on, like uh, um, in volume two where they're in the police precinct and there's just so much movement and so many people. Um, and he just sort of like draws this weird oval with two other ovals and it looks like a guy throwing his arms up, <laughs> you know, like you figure it out, you get it, you get what is getting across there. And it still feels just as hectic and busy and lived in. But at the same time, like... There are also incredibly overdrawn parts, like the crazy zombie monster that shows up, like, is totally rendered. You can see every little bit of cloth on him. Right, which kind of creates this moment of stark realization, I guess. Yeah. Like, because you're not supposed to gloss over it, you're really supposed to look at it and be like, holy crap, <laughs> that was all drawn. Yeah, it's almost like uh, the artist, well, I mean, it, I, I would say that he uses detail as a way to draw your eye to specific things in the page. That's and a very he uses the, the lack of detail, like something is more stylized if it's supposed to, if it's less important. That's yeah, that's actually a very good point. So it's less about, less about framing and size and more about detail versus not detail. Yeah. And it, it, it's good. an interesting way to, it's kind of a, like, I don't know. I don't feel like it's done that much to sort of highlight the focus of an individual panel. By saying like, hey, I drew this part very carefully with all the detail. The rest of this I didn't draw so much so that you know this helmet is the thing you should be looking at. Right. Yeah. Man, I, I got to say, though, even after all that, and it's really, really amazing uh, professional looking work. And I'm just like, it's not my aesthetic, though. Like, it's not something I'm going to get super duper hyped about. I really like it. I like yeah, it I mean, you would because you know it looks very indie for sure. It looks very um, Ryan. There's just something about it that feels, that's uh, the word I'm looking for, I don't know, like too realistic, like not uncanny valley, but like something that just looks too undefined. It looks great, don't get me wrong, it's just not my jam. All right, that's, I guess that's your, your opinion, man. Yeah, yeah, it's just like my opinion, man. Yeah. But uh, that being said, I'm never going to like get in an argument and somebody says, no, this art is great. I'm like, no, 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 it, it super is. Like, I absolutely recognize how good this art is, don't get me wrong. I'm. It's fine. Nobody needs to at me on that. But, uh, as if anybody would. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm still just going to go out on a limb and say, like, yeah, it's, it's just maybe not my aesthetic. Yeah. All right. So, um, t tell me about this show, then. All you, right. 
You're talking uh, to somebody who doesn't want spoilers and hasn't seen it. Sure, so, I won't spoil yeah. it for you. Um, it was okay. uh, the show. It's on Netflix. It's uh, ten episodes, twelve episodes, something like that. Um, it people because I watched the whole thing over a weekend, and then everybody knows that I'm a huge comic nerd that I know, and I was like, okay, so you watch the show. How does it line up with the comics? And I was just like, I don't, I don't know how to answer this. The show, because the comics hop around in time, the show takes all those hops around in time and it anchors them together. So the the show is most of the first volume and a good two-thirds of the second volume happening simultaneously. The, Wait, the, say that again. Most of the, fir- third, most of the first volume and a good two-thirds of the second volume happening all at once. Whoa. Okay. So it doesn't it doesn't follow the linear plot of the comic, but for an example, the ending of the first volume lines up with the ending of the season of the show. Got it. But dealing with accidentally traveling back in time to Vietnam, dealing with Hazel and Cha-Cha, dealing with the whole concept of the time cops and what um, what number five has been up to as an unstoppable time assassin also is all dealt with on the show. Okay. So they sort of weasel it in there yeah. and, and bring it together so that instead of reading the comics and then sort of putting it together retroactively, they just took it and put it together in, in time so you wouldn't have to figure it out and piece it together later. Yeah, this is definitely not a direct adaptation. Someone sat down and did a lot of work of how can we take this kind of madcap over the top comic series and make like an actual satisfying story with good emotional beats. Is it still Umbrella Academy at that point though? I mean, it's still all the characters. One of the guys still has a giant gorilla body. Oh, he does. Okay. I wasn't sure about that. Yes. And there is a talking chimpanzee. Um, I did see that. Yeah. It's, it's, and so that's why it's weird. The other thing is, in the book, like um, one of I think the downfalls of the book is that none of the characters really have any sort of emotional development. Which I know we're talking about a book with sp- spacemen, um, right. but in the show they do. Hmm. In the show there are like character arcs and there are stories. Honestly, the seances story from beginning to the end of the show is incredibly emotionally satisfying, and and it's just like. Like it, 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 I was endeared to the show because of how they handled that character. Because in the book, he's just a dirtbag. All both issue, both series, both. Yeah, volumes. he's he's not really worth a whole lot. And he the does show, save the day once. He is also a dirtbag who's not worth a whole lot. But maybe that changes. And and Hazel and Cha Cha aren't just unstoppable psycho killing machines. They are people too, who have feelings. And you as a, a viewer is like. I kind of care about this unstoppable time assassin now. Wow. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Like on the other side of it, it is heavy on the drama. Um, It is not the cleverest show when it comes to the use of music or the use of montage and things like that. Like it feels kind of telegraphed when it's time for like, oh, we're going to have a slow motion fight scene right now. Is it going to be set to a Rolling Stones song? No, they can't afford one. Um, and, And so like, it's a little unartful in that sense. And I, and I would say the special effects are probably CW level. Well, I mean, it's Netflix. They have about as much money. It's a Netflix original show. But they, they don't... It, they sort of smartly decided early on, like, hey, we know that the, the special effects aren't awesome, so we're going to kind of just not show them when we don't need to. Okay. Which I think is smart. Yeah. Show things in silhouette or, or show things happening in the background. I I really liked the show, ultimately. I mean, I'm I'm glad you liked it. It's totally, totally different. Cause I've definitely, like I said, heard very mixed things about like this is unwatchable, the pacing is so glacier like worthy. It's, it's it's a Netflix too... show, which means that about from halfway to three quarters of the way through Nothing happens. Okay. There is a very slow second act. Every Netflix show has like 
every Netflix show has like two episodes that are completely unnecessary. It feels like to me where it's like nothing happened in those two episodes. And like maybe some emotional development happened, but story-wise the plot ground to a halt. We had two episodes and they decided, oh, let's start the plot back up. (laughs) It's like they needed to walk from here to there to, you know, get them from here to there. No, but I mean like Daredevil did that. Um, Jessica Jones did that. Every Netflix original series that I've watched does that. Even the Stranger Things shows, they have like two episodes in the second half of the middle that are just like, well, nothing's happening. Let's take a break. Um, I really liked it. I if it's if you're looking for the comic, it's not. Okay. It, it takes the characters and does something totally different with them. Got it. I mean, I, do, do you feel like it keeps the, the field? Does it, like, stay true to, like, you know, for, for somebody that's into Umbrella Academy as, like, a thing, is it going to be um, liked by them as, as, as having the same aesthetic, the same feel, the same brand? Uh, it's hard because I feel like there's a lot of people who like the Umbrella Academy for a lot of different reasons. If you got into the Umbrella Academy because you were into Gerard Way and My Chemical Romance... Yeah. And like having feelings about having feelings, <laughs> then yeah, the show's super good. If you mm-hmm. got into it like me because you like seeing stuff blow, you know, pictures of stuff blown up and crazy robot monsters, no. Got it. There's no, okay. no one fights a robot. Bummer. The whole time. Bummer. Yeah. And there's so many robots. So, so few buildings explode. That's, I mean, okay. I understand. It's disappointing, but I understand. Yeah. The Eiffel Tower never. Never goes crazy. It never goes crazy. They never have to fight a um, giant walking statue of Abraham Lincoln at all, <laughs> the whole time. And they didn't have to manifest a giant John Wilkes booth. Right, exactly. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it's definitely much more like, it, it, you, you have to, right? If you're Netflix... Right, like, look, we got to tone this down and make this palatable to someone who has no idea what's going on, who just right. sees this on Netflix and is like, "You, you got to hit as many people as you can." Oh, that looks kind of, it looks kind of quirky, <laughs> you know. Okay, but nobody, nobody's probably gonna. Use, well, I'm sure some people use this as cosplay fodder, but it's probably not going to be like top of the list. Oh yeah, no, I could totally see people cosplaying the show. Oh great, It'd be That'd way be easier than cosplaying the book. I mean, All right. most of the characters yeah. just wear regular clothes the whole time. That's fair. Uh, I think that we're pretty much hitting as much as we're going to hit on All right. All right. this book that is nigh explainable. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see where the third volume goes. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't even know that was a thing, so I'm definitely going to read that. Yeah, because I, I, like, I have to understand, does it wrap it up? Does it go a totally different direction? Like, what? What happens to these characters? I don't see this having a wrap-up of any, like, helpful kind. Well, but the other thing is, like, the Gerard Way who's writing this, who's writing the third volume, mm-hmm. has so many more comics under his belt. That's true. He, he is did. a much different writer. That's true. Because the first volume was 2007 and 2008. The second <laughs> oh, volume wow. was 2008 and 2009. Dang. And like, he has since been an editor on multiple comics. He wrote like an entire run of Doom Patrol that's very, very well received, uh, along with a bunch of other stuff. So, like, it's a whole different person who's revisiting this world. We're gonna get a Doom Patrol show soon too. Yeah, uh, Ian, you know Ian. I do uh, know Ian. He signed up for the free trial of DC, whatever it's called, and he really mm-hmm. liked it. He really liked the Doom Patrol show. Oh, he, there's like three episodes out or something. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I he, thought we hadn't he had started it yet. But. Nothing but good things to say about it. Okay. Well, depending on you know this episode and when people are listening to it, that may be different information. But you get the idea. That's so cool. All right. Well, long story short, you liked it. I liked it. You should probably read this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You should read this. You should definitely read this. All right, what do you, what do you, where, where are people going to look us up after this? All right, you can, uh, you can reach out to the show uh, at YSRT Comics on Twitter, or you should read this comics on Instagram. Um, if you go to youshouldreadthis.club, you can listen, you can subscribe to 
whatever your preferred podcast app is. We're all, we got all of them: Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google, whatever. It's fantastic. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty sure we're like everywhere at this point. We're the everywhere mans. <laughs> all right, that was bad. Yep. Uh, Alan, how do people get you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at marginally talented, M R G N L Y talented on most platforms. Uh, Instagram is where I post all the things that I draw because I do draw things sometimes. Although it's been about two and a half weeks since I posted anything, but I've still been drawing, believe it or not. I got really sick like a week, and so I had to like kill some time so I would doodle here and there. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like put a deadline on myself to put things on Instagram when I'm dying. Uh, where where can people find you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ryan Roop. That's R Y A N R U P P E. I'm on that on Instagram too. Uh, I write about music at PrestigeFormat.com, though I haven't written about music in 2019 yet. <laughs> um, it's only March. Good on it. Yeah, well. Uh, so, yeah, that's where I am on the internet. Cool. Um, we still don't have like a solid ending for the show yet, do we? Uh, we can say thanks for listening. Bye. Okay. Bye.